Do you love beef jerky? I know I do. I love beef jerky. <laughs> we want to say thanks to our friends Bulk Beef Jerky because they have over 20 different lines of beef jerkies, and you guessed it. They sell it in bulk all the way up to the 10-pound bags. They literally have a style and a flavor for everyone. Vegan jerky, California brisket, wild jerky, turkey jerky, jerky nuggets, textile jerky, <laughs> real jerky, classic beef jerky, meat sticks, wood smoke sticks, all natural brisket jerky, dried fruit, nuts, and some for your pets. Check them out at bulkbeefjerky.com and use the code CP15 for 15% off of your first order. That's bulkbeefjerky.com, CP15. Beef jerky. Everybody, welcome back to the Unrecruited Podcast. I got the, uh, the usual suspects here: Chris Pettit and Jason Brown, along with myself, Vance Lynch. And today we are going to focus on the uh, the topic of real estate, both commercial and residential. Um, we're going to be focusing more on the the investment strategies, the investment side of it, um, where where Chris has a little bit of an expertise. And I, you know, I did want to throw it over to him right away for the, uh, for a quick intro. Um, Chris, kind of, kind of take it away, walk us through kind of what we're going to, what we're going to be dealing with today. Yeah. So we're going to talk about real estate investments, which can span the gamut from houses that you're going to rent out to commercial properties that you're also renting out to apartments, to land, um, a lot of people are looking at real estate as just an alternative investment, another way to make money on the money you already have and a more of a store of income too. So the interesting thing is obviously that it's very tangible compared to say like a stock um, or like something like that, where it that could go up and down very quickly every day. Right. And we talk a lot of stocks and investing. So talking real estate investing, there's a little bit, of a different way to look at it. Uh, it's not going to be as volatile as stocks and the rest of your portfolio, but it's also definitely not as liquid. So we'll cover how people should be looking at it and what they should be looking to do if they're looking to get into real estate investing. Um, and then we can go through some questions from there. So I'm a big proponent of investing myself. And my background on that would be that I got into it after having the financial background of understanding what the investment world look like from a stock mutual funds bonds perspective and then buying some houses out of state with some with some friends and partners that we were able to rent out and turn into a cash flowing business there's a few different ways to look at it cash flow versus appreciation so we can touch on those and i think there's different different um times that those are beneficial for different people so um, if you guys have anything that you want me to start on, um, let, let's start go from there. Let's start at the, the beginning and we'll kind of work our way up to a bigger portfolio. So typically somebody is going to buy their first home and the hopes is that appreciation over time makes it a successful asset for you. And then you can parlay that into a bigger house, a better house and take cash to go second house, whatever it is. So start kind of talking about that initial purchase and how we can parlay that to the next level. Yeah, it's a great place to start. So just to separate that, we're talking about investing though, not strictly like your house. So what, what we're talking about in this scenario, and we can get to 
you know, the first time home buyer. But what we're talking about now is your first purchase for an, an investment piece of real estate. Now, you, you might already own your home or you might not. And you might just say, hey, I want to put my money towards a piece of real estate that I'm investing in, that I'm not living in. Because at that point, you're going to have multiple ways for appreciation and income. And that's going to be through the cash flow, what it's running out for, income minus your expenses, the appreciation over time, the tax benefits of it. And that's going to help you, like you said, push it forward. And a lot of people roll that forward. And there's multiple ways to do that as well. But the biggest barrier to entry to real estate is, number one, getting in. And I would say that about buying a house, too. So that would be my number one piece of advice about somebody buying a house in a good location is that, and we're in Southern California, right? So if you're in a good location in Southern California, long-term real estate is going to be positive. That's, there's no, I, mean, I guess you could debate that, but it would take a lot of things to go wrong for that to be the case. And if that's the case, it might not matter. But long-term, you just have to get in, right? Rates are good. You're using leverage. That's another portion of investing that makes it so worthwhile. So getting started, the biggest barrier to entry is buying a piece of investment real estate. Because whether or not you own your house, it's not easy to go out and buy another piece of real estate, especially in Southern California. You could do it out of state and have a lot lower barrier to entry, but you want to make sure you're in a good location relatively that is going to be producing a return that is risk adjusted to what you want to be. And and that's probably the biggest thing that I look at is risk adjusted returns in real estate as far as the differences in what type of real estate you should be investing in and what locations you should be investing in. Well, and there's also a difference, right? And if you're talking that first purchase or you're talking as a, a, a even though it's a, for an investment, it's a personal thing it's you know it's under four units it might be a second house or whatever it is versus something that requires a commercial loan or commercial investing which is a whole different scenario so you know in, in this scenario how do you see if, if you're in that first investment you've, you've bought that first house you're going to roll it into something else or you want to add on to it are you know it's not easy on a second house for anybody to say you can't get away with 20 percent down payment it's going to require a larger down payment. And so that kind of goes into your, your cash flow. And is it cash flow positive or not? Because even though you might not be, or you might be cash flow positive, you can still take a loss on the property and your tax return because depreciation and, and all that stuff. So there's ways to make money and not pay taxes. But what do you see people doing for that next level up? Are they still trying to leverage or is it coming in with more cash and maybe taking on somebody to, to be an investor in the property with you and kind of start creating portfolios using other people's money a little bit as well. I think it never hurts to start as a partner because it takes you less money to get in. So you're not starting out at the bottom of the barrel, or maybe you're starting, you wouldn't even be able to get in the game, but you're able to have partners and you can get in the game. Right. So to get in with a couple of things that you touched on, there's a couple of ways that people look at the piece of real estate and how it makes you money, which there's going to be the cap rate, the gross rent multiplier, and the cash on cash return for a couple of simple ones. The cap rate is the net operating income divided by the price. The gross rent multiplier is going to be how many times it takes to have your annual rent equal the price. 
so if it's you know if you're making ten thousand dollars a year and the price is a hundred thousand then the gross rent multiplier would be ten um or if the gross rents are ten thousand and the price is a hundred thousand the gross rent multiplier would be ten so those are some general metrics i consider them more comparison sake where you can take a property in florida to a property in texas to a property in california and say what are these comparisons because then you know what's grossing more money and then there's expenses so you know what's netting you more money the cap rate is the same comparison analysis that's a percentage um but you know the cash on the reason a lot of people kind of stay out is the cash on cash return is going to be day one is going to be low um, but for all the reasons that we touched on initially as the benefits of real estate along with appreciation of rents so not even appreciation of property which kind of comes by appreciation of rents but also as rents go up your cash and cash return will go up and so getting to the leverage point i would be a proponent of leverage obviously depending on where the leverage was at but in the current lending environment the leverage makes a lot of sense because the money is so cheap so you could borrow money at three and a half percent and and make money at four and a half percent now it's not a big spread but that's day one and then your debt's going to stay constant at three and a half percent for if it's commercial loan for a period of time, five to seven years, it's a residential loan for up to 30 years, but your cash and cash return is not going to be four and a half percent for that same time. It's going to go up. So all of that all contributes. It's like, it's, it's a really starts out as a really small snowball and it's hard for a lot of people to understand that and see. And you also can't, you know, you can try to project, but you can't specifically always quantify exactly how it's been. So, that's that's why a lot of people hesitate to make the move, in my opinion. But when you do make the move, then you have the asset, then you have the ability to use the asset for other purposes, to buy another asset or to use it for a leverage on something else. Well, let's say you're you're super successful in that first one, and it's time to sell and move, and you talk ten thirty ones, and and how that kind of plays into thing. And I think that's a huge piece to the equation that successful real estate investors use is 1031ing properties and even reverse 1031ing if, if you know if you struggle a little bit but there's different ways to kind of go about it so talk more about uh, just a, a standard 1031 exchange yeah both of those i would consider to be a 1031 exchange which is the number one if you do own the piece of real estate you already have the first piece or or multiple but that's the number one way to grow your wealth and really right now you can replace your income, your cash flow off the property with another property of that's of greater value and increase your increase your wealth. Now day one you might kind of be in the same spot as far as cash flow, but you also have a bigger piece of property, better location, um, more rent coming in, more economies of scale. There's a ton of advantages to that. So combined with more depreciation, which as you mentioned, it kind of falls by the way said depreciation is an expense that you pay in your tax term, but not something you pay. So it's just a pure write-off and the 1031 exchange really helps exacerbate that. And that's what's one of the, the great things about that. Now they're talking about taking the exchange away, the 1031 exchange away. Um, Who's talking about that? <laughs> that would be uh, Joe Biden discussing that. Wait, let me pause you right there. Let's take two steps back real quick. So if you're an individual, and I'll say single or married, 
and you sell a property, right? You have a, a capital gain exemption. Individual, it's two hundred fifty thousand. As a married couple, it's five hundred thousand. At least, is it state of California or is only, it? No, that's only it, it's it's nationwide, but that's only if it's your primary residence. That's only okay. residence. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you have that if you're going on the personal side, but on the ten thirty one side, it's anything, right? And even if it's a hundred thousand dollar gain, you want to parlay that and roll it into something better, so that you're not paying taxes on hundred grand and the hundred grand gets working for you sooner than if you had to pay taxes and build it back up. Yeah, exactly. So say, take a gain of a hundred thousand, right? Not probably not that, that big of a gain on, I mean, we'd all be happy to have an extra hundred thousand, but you know, on a piece of real estate, a hundred thousand dollar gain and say you pay, give it a tax rate, a, a fair tax rate of 35%. So if you were to just say, Hey, I'm just going to take the hundred thousand Put the pay the thirty five percent that next year on my taxes. Now I got sixty five thousand. Do whatever I want with. The thing about whether you put that into you know stocks, bonds, mutual funds, another alternative investment, another piece of real estate. How long is it going to take you to get to the hundred thousand? Right. Well, it's going to take you a long time. I mean, that's another that's that's fifty percent, right? Because then you got to go back up. So. If you take the hundred thousand, you roll it in with your original equity, and then that hundred thousand is making the same. Let's call it three to four percent return, but but you're making three to four percent return on a hundred thousand, not on well hundred thousand extra, but not on the sixty five thousand extra. So you're making more in a sense on that than you are. I mean, that's another thousand more a month in that respect. On, on top of everything else you're making, plus the appreciation, plus the pushing it forward, plus the depreciation, all the advantages that we just discussed in real estate. And I think, you know, we can have a full 1031 discussion on, there's so many intricacies to that that make so much sense and so, so in depth. I mean, that's probably a separate entire podcast, but ultimately, you know, most of the people I'm in the, the investment business, most clients I work with, they, not they started out saying, "Hey, I'm going to own the, all these buildings and these this real estate, right?" They they bought one because their friend said it was a good idea. Their buddy told them it was a good investment. Their friend had bought one and it seemed cool, or you know, not even they just wanted to own the property next door that was a you know a five unit apartment building, and now they have fifty units, a hundred units, three commercial properties. And it just it just builds over time because regardless of outside of the sensitive one exchange, you can refinance and that's tax free money. So you can take out debt when your property goes up in value and you don't pay tax on the debt that you take out and you just keep holding that property and buy something else. And you can keep rolling ten thirty one exchanges and so ultimately whoever's at the uh, the end of that, usually probably some estate or some kid ends up if they sell the property, <laughs> they get hit with the tax burden, but they end up with zero basis. I, I mean, I don't want to say the goal is to die, but <laughs> if you roll it and you want to plan, I mean, as you roll it, you're making more cash flow. And then as you roll it, your kids are making more wealth or your estate is yeah. having more wealth, right? And then when you pass, then it, it goes to your estate at a at a stepped up uh stepped up basis, which they're going to sell at zero taxes 
as far as the Scapple games that you you would have had if you sold the day before you died. Right. So the goal is to die with the property in the <laughs> current tax situation, but not to just, you know, a lot of people leave, I feel like they leave a lot of money on the table because they're like, ah, I'm just going to, you know, die with it. And they're, you know, 50 or 60. And it's like, wow, that's going to cost, cost you a lot in taxes and cost your family a lot, you know? Right. There's, so really, I think about always improving the position and, you know, you kind of have to just work around the piece that you have. You put a piece on the board on, you know, it's like a chess game. You put a piece on the board and then you work around it. Sometimes you might put other pieces on the board. Other times you might trade up to another piece. And that's the way I look at it. Yeah, you can't just mail it in. You can't can't say that, okay, I'm going to long-term commit to this and just roll it up because, like you said, you're going to leave money on the table more times than not. So, so being the uh, resident, I guess, pessimist, on the podcast what is the so what is the disadvantage um so what are the disadvantages I mean, we talked a lot about the advantages um like simply like why isn't everybody i mean again there's barriers to entry we talked about i mean there's obviously a capital requirement um so what is what are the disadvantages here well so the barrier to entry is the hardest part to get in, right? But also, com- almost combined with that, and it is a standalone, is that it's it's not a liquid investment. At least today, and I this could change because we have all these internet, you know, facilities and um, apps and stuff, and there's a lot of a lot more liquidity in the financial markets. But you can't turn you can't turn around and say, hey, I need two million dollars today. I don't. I mean, I don't know what you need it for, right? But whatever it is, I got to sell today. So you can't. You can't sell today, right? I mean, of course, there's a price you can sell for today, but it's not a. It's not like a price that that is is reasonable. So it, right. it's just a very. It's very liquid. It's it's a long term play because it's more of a. It's a curve that's going to start very flat and then really extend up as as time goes so it's it's a compounding curve right so it's a long-term play it's not a and i mean of course there's people who flip houses who flip apartments you know renovations and add value right and that's a great play too but for the most part people who buy are not saying using x plus y equals z in the terms of i'm going to buy it for a a million and a half, put in 200,000 and sell it for two and a half million, right? That's not the normal. I mean, everybody would love to do that, but it's just very hard to find the right building to do that. So, I mean, the the risk is that also the market goes down because there's no dispute that we're at a high high point in the market. But like I said, over time, being a long-term play, it's like, well, if you would you rather buy it now or wait for it to go down? And then buy because if you wait for it to go down, it might already hit the market might have already gone up ten percent. So then the market comes no, I, down ten percent. I hate that. I hate that comment. I hate that debate. There's a lot of people that have been waiting for the market to crash for the last five years. Yeah, yeah we're in a real estate bubble. It's going to pop, we, right? It's going to pop. We're, it's we've been pop. in a real estate bubble. It's gone up fifty percent. So now when it does, you know, it does drop twenty percent, you've still missed out on that 
and there's well, those thinks- people are not buying. Those people are still not buying. And and plus, you missed right. out on the whole cash flow time, even though it's not a lot. You right. missed out on the cash flow and the tax benefits during the time to grow your wealth because you also paid down your loans. Yep. Another thing to advance at risk is you got to do your homework, whether it's uh, you know a single family residence or a multi unit complex. You know, are, are you buying in an area where there's rent control? Are you buying in an area where you're the big dog on the block and, you know, you're not going to get the appreciation. But if you're somewhere small and you know it's, you know, the city is appreciating or uh, you've changed the zoning or something like that allows you to do X, Y, Z, whatever. Like you have to be able to have a little background on the property. You can't just walk in and say, all right, that looks good to me because you might just be buying the wrong thing. I feel like these 1031 exchanges, people are just buying whatever. Well, you, so the 1031, right? You have, <laughs> I know, you have just six kidding. months. You have six months. You get, you're on the clock. It's, and so, you know, I know, I know. It, it's tricky. Like, you know, one, one of my clients was put into that situation where we had a reverse 1031 and we couldn't find a property and we were struggling and we sold a piece of land and we needed something to convert it to. And so, um, we ended up overpaying for something to get where we needed to go. And we still have it. So it's not like we lost it and, you know, uh, we're doing construction and all that stuff to make it better. But uh, it's one of those things like once you're on that clock, it, it weighs on you. Well, Jason, I think, uh, I think you were, what you're referring to was more the straight up 1031, which he already sold. And then he's looking to buy something. That's the regular 1031. The reverse is that you buy something first and then close it and then sell your property. That's what we did. We had a commercial. Sorry, we had it. We bought a commercial property. We were yeah. trying to swap land for land. We couldn't swap land oh. for land. So then we ended up doing the other way. Oh, yeah. So if you sell, the problem with the, I mean, there's a few, it's just different purposes. But if you then you sell, you might have to rush to sell, which yeah. is, you know, you pass money off. But but yeah, there's a time limit. So it's 180 days to close, 45 days to identify. That's and, 45, right? And there's some, you know, workarounds with that. I mean, the one of the statements is that people are going to overpay because they're in a 1031. And, it's, you know, ultimately, if you buy something, sell something in the market and buy something in the market and you, the rest of your holdings, you know, you put you in an advantageous position, you're going to come out on top. So I don't know that you can qualify that as overpaying. Um, You know, it's like if you're going to reposition and and get a benefit, do you care what you pay? If I told you you were going to be in a better position, I mean, I I mean, you you might, you might pay more than somebody that isn't in that position, but that's not overpaying necessarily for your situation because you need to get the deal. You need to get the deal more, Exactly. Then, so then the next step, but that's out so, there in the market. Like that's just that's part of that's part of it. That's why that conversation is so prevalent. Like I'll talk to clients and say, "Oh man, those the ten, I'm not a 1031 buyer. Those 1031 buyers are really just pushing the terrible deal." Yeah, and it's like, well, you could be a 1031 buyer if you wanted to make more money, but you're going to sit on the sidelines with your 10 million dollars and just wait. So you want to you could sell your property today and be a 1031 buyer. And it's a bad rap. You, you, you'd be better off. And, and it's, it's a funny, sometimes it's a funny conversation, especially when, especially with people who understand that because they're like, well, no, no, I, I I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know, and you're like, well, why not? And there's 
you know, it's hard. There's not really a good answer, right? Like, well, no, that's not going to work. Cause I'm not going to overpay. But like, you know, if I said, if I said, Hey, give me your $20 bill and I'll give you a hundred dollar bill. Like you probably do it. Even if, you know, even if it was worth less, even if the hundred dollar bill was only worth 80 or, you know, yeah, right. You, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough comparison, but I get, I get, bad, I get where you're going. I get, I get, where you're, I, I get where you're going with it. <laughs> but, bad analogy. Uh, I probably should have said, give me your $20 bill and I'll give you a bar of gold. Right. Then you would have taken it. Hold on. I'd take, yeah. But yeah, the bar, but right now the bar of gold, you're going to overpay. Oh, you're going to overpay by $20 for the bar of gold. Well, because the price of gold is, you know, astronomical right now. So obviously right. it's not worth it. Right. Um, which it isn't. Gold's going to five thousand. So, just ask Peter. Shit. <laughs> well, well, we could do another another one thing. I guess really what it comes down to, if you're just trying to invest, all that stuff said, it's just hard to get in for those reasons because people are moving up the ladder, and if you're, you know, if you're at the not getting to the bottom of the ladder, you can't move up the ladder, right? Yeah. So how do people? So then. Where do people go to get into the game besides, you know, Colin, Chris Pettit? Besides, yeah, besides calling me, well, there, there's a number of ways. I mean, there's some syndications that you could get into, which are investment partnerships with a principal who's going to buy the piece of property, and then you could give them a portion of money, and, and they will. And how much? You. How much money are you talking about? Do you need for that type of investment? Would you say? That would probably be between like on the low end would be twenty thousand, but probably most would be like a fifty thousand dollar commitment, and up from and, there, right? And that commitment is for how long? Well, it, the difference is when you go to a syndication or an investment partnership, that commitment's going to be for as long as, based on their agreement, as long as they want to hold the property. So, again, you lose control there. Um, and similar to that is a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is a larger scale, like almost like a REIT, but you, it's the same. It's like a syndication too. Mm -hmm. And you say, hey, I'll give you this much money, $50,000. And then they're expected to return you, you know, let's say 6% on, on your money. But you have professionals run the property, so you don't do anything with the investment. And then they're returning you 6% cash. And then when they do a capital event, like a refinance or a sale, then you'll get more of a portion back. And then there's a split above and beyond the 6% between the people running the property, let's call them the general partners, and you, the limited partner. So that's one way to get in. You know, you so, can kind of see how real estate works. It's a good way to see how real estate works. and you know, and a good way to have cash flow. And so the other thing that I was going to get into is the cash flow versus the appreciation. There's cash flow investors and appreciation investors. And so like, what should you be looking for is the question. Both. Sure. <laughs> the middle. <laughs> the middle. <laughs> you want the well, high end of both, right? But I think yeah, it depends I want, what, I want your, it all. So, what your strategy is, right? It's short-term, long-term type scenario. Right. So I, I touched on it at the beginning. If you're, I would say, you know, we're all relatively younger, mid thirties, generously. And, um, <laughs> I, I would say, uh, looking for appreciation, you know, myself is what I'm looking for. That's what I tell my friends to look for and younger people, because you're probably working. 
So you're making money. So anything that you're creating more income on, on a cash flow basis, you're going to be paying taxes on. So you're losing the ability to push it forward. But if you can get into some deals where you're going to be able to build some equity appreciation, then I search for more equity growth is what I look for. Because if you, you can grow the equity, yes, you don't have in your pocket to spend, but at the same time, it's going to be working more for you because you can put that to work on something else through those exchanges that we talked about before. How are you identifying equity growth properties versus, say, like distinguish the difference when you're looking at an investment opportunity? I mean, because you could be getting into a, you could even be getting into a syndication that uh, is one that seems like, you know, it's just all, I mean, you need to know what you're getting into because if you're looking for, for, for growth and appreciation and something that's going to turn over quickly, I mean, that would, should be in the terms of the, you know, of the syndication as opposed to like a deal that's more cash flow oriented. So how would you distinguish that for the, the listener? Usually the syndications are going to tell you if this is a three-year hold or a five-year hold or a seven-year hold with these expected returns. So they'll give you that answer. But as an investor on a personal basis, if you're looking at a property that's been completely renovated and it's turnkey, right? It might be nice to step into. It's probably going to have a higher cap rate, a lower GRM, which to touch on those things, which we did earlier, they move in an inverse relationship. So as the GRM comes down, the cap rate goes up. And those, that's what you want as a buyer if you're just looking for cash flow. But if on a fully turnkey property, somebody probably put the sweat equity into it, renovated it, spent the time to get the rents up, and now you're going to profit. Well, they're going to profit off the sale, and then you're going to profit off of the cash flow, which is what makes a market. But that's not going to appreciate as much because you're buying the property in the market on the high end of the market. But it's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you're buying the property that's going to produce you the least headaches, hopefully, and the most cash flow. That's the trade off. So you're buying more cash, you're buying cash flow at that point versus a property that the guy's owned for 50 years and it's run down and he hasn't touched it. And the rents are low. So he can't sell that property because there's debt limitations and it, it you have to spend money on it if you want to get the rents up. So the cap rate on that property is going to be low and the GRM is going to be high. And it might take a little more cash to get it done. But when if you fix it up, you're gonna and you you put say two hundred thousand dollars into it, into like a two million dollar property, what's well, probably probably gonna be worth closer to $3 million, you know, or, or two and a half million dollars, let's say. But when you do that, I mean, it's on, it's not, um, you know, it's not realized, but you made the money. And if you sell it and trade it, you made the money. Yeah. When you talk cap rates, cause it looked at it this a lot for, for our office space and, and, you know, uh, a building, but you know, the, the selling agents, not afraid to say, oh, this is a five cap, this is a six cap. What's a good number when you start talking cap rates, like where for your barrier of entry? Like that's that's the thing. There's not there's not a good number. It's just what it it's what's the market, right? So if you're gonna if 
So kind of what I would just explained, if you want to buy something that's, that's renovated and turnkey and you don't want to touch it, then you should expect to get a better than market cap rate, like a better than average cap rate, because you're going to pay, there's no upside there. But if you're, if you want to buy something that's say like a value add where you can add value, you can put money in and you can make it more rent. Well, then you're going to pay a below market cap rate because you're going to be, the rents are going to be low and you're going to be spending the money to get it up. But you're, at the time, you're going to cross over the other cap rate we just talked about of the turnkey cap rate. So you would make more money than that. But it takes the work and the knowledge of the property and location to know that that's what you're going to make. So, so how do you raise rents in California? On a residential property, it would be a 30 or a 60 day notice to raise rent. In a non-rent controlled area. <laughs> well, California all has rent control now. And even yeah, in a rent control, right. even whether it's the rent, there's stricter rent control, but regardless, it's still the same thing. It just depends how much you can raise it. So you just have to give a 30 or 60 day notice. How, if you're going, if you buy a, um, I don't know, like a four unit complex that's beaten up and you want to, and you want to renovate, but you got four, you have four renters. Um, do you, right? do you serve them like notice of, of work, like planned work? And then what are their options then? Well, we're going to need time besides generally a rent control, but because of COVID. COVID, COVID aside. No, COVID aside. Okay. Because of, of COVID, you can't, you know, notice, the notices mean nothing because of COVID basically in the state of California. Um, but free COVID. Or, right. Yeah, there's an eviction moratorium. Pre COVID, you give them a notice, 60 day notice to move out because I'm doing work and then and that part due to the new rules if you're going to do work you have to prove that you're doing work and you have to pull permits in our or show that you're doing the work that's an uninhabitable place and most of the time I mean people are gonna I mean what are they gonna do right I mean there used yeah. to be the the sad part is with that restriction that went in where with the California rent control, you know, it really only hurts tenants because before you would go in and you'd say, Hey, I'm going to fix this up. Do you want to, do you want to still live here? I'm going to fix it up. The rent's going to be higher, but if you want to still live here, you, you get first shot and you got to make a deal. That's probably been a, everybody kind of wins, but now, you know, you aren't able to do that. You just have to say you're, you're out. Because if yeah. you do that, you're breaking like and let them back in at a higher price. You're breaking, kind of breaking the law. Vance is taking his real estate test as we do this. It's great. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm real finance one hundred and one. I'm real close, guys. I'm in the you know that econ section or that real estate finance is killing me. But Jason, to your previous question, everyone wants to look at hey, what's a good cap rate? Everybody wants the cap rate, right? Yeah, I, I just try to say don't chase the cap rate because if you're saying, hey, I got to get a five and a half or, you know, I got to get a six, 
you know, and the market's like a five or market four and a half. Well, you're just going, you're going to go towards properties that are lesser properties because the reason they're at a higher cap rate is either because they're not selling because they're lesser properties or they're not a good location. And that's really the trade off. And everything is so compressed anyway that I don't think, I don't know that that's the best decision at a, at a, let's call it the higher end of the market. Right. So, you can equate it to buying a stock for the dividend. Don't buy the stock for the dividend because their operating statement might be shit. Good, very good analogy. Yeah, I mean, if you if you can't verify yeah if you can't verify their operating statement, then that's a good. <laughs> yeah, but good what if analogy. you want to invest in the dogs of the Dow and you're just sitting there looking for those high, right? High dividend paying those, stocks. Those dividend. I would say that you need to look, if you're going to go dividends, go for dividend like champions, ones that raise their dividend over time, not the ones that are, you know, not in the oil industry where it's just kind of going like, you know, down, or down, down. All of a sudden they have the 10% dividend because they're stock. Yeah. Yeah. Or another place you might see that is in REITs, right? REIT prices get smashed and then, but they don't operate that way. Don't see that. I mean, that's another topic that we could get into. But I mean, if you see a read or something out there with like a 20% sticker on the dividend when you're looking at your you know, TD account, don't expect that to be their next payout um, the next time that comes out. That was what they, that's what they paid last time based on the current stock price. They may not even, they may not pay, they may not have any income or any cash flow to dole out by the next time that comes around because obviously yeah, that's the stocks a, get that's a don't trust for a reason. That's a don't trust the listing broker answer because the listing broker puts out that there's that on the vacant commercial building it's a it's a ten percent cap rate. And then you ask like let me see the lease and he's like, Oh there's no tenant in there because someone's gonna someone's willing to pay, you know, this much to be in there and that <laughs> that that equates to a ten percent cap rate. But if that was the case, why are they not in there, right? Yeah, no yeah, no one's paying. Yeah, I got no yeah. cap. I got no cash flow. Though. I yeah, got it's, no a zero, it's a zero cap rate at that point. <laughs> There's a lot of crooked books out there, right? Yeah. So, so do your due diligence and make sure, you know, to get back to that, make sure you have your own underwriting with how you're going to run the property. If you're going to have management of 5%, then put that in your numbers and, you know, don't be surprised when it's the six cap rate and it's a five cap rate. But that's where you figure out what, you know, you really got to look at enough properties to know the difference between those things. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not trying to scare anybody away from it. I, we, it's a, it's a great place to be. We wouldn't, or we wouldn't be having a, having a conversation about it. Um, but you do need to pay attention. You do need to, to do your due diligence. Like Chris said. Yeah. Um, so, especially I was saying in today's world too, with everybody being, so uh, on top of things, you talk environmental surveys and you talk about all this stuff. It's the land all of a sudden now that what's underneath the land, what was it once before, before you purchased it? There's all these things that are out there that you need to know. And it's, you know, sometimes it's not cheap, but it's better to spend a few extra bucks up front than get fucked over by something and, and be in for, for the long haul. Yeah, definitely do your due diligence. And that's it for our real estate investing. Thank you, Chris, for doing that. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Unrecruited Podcast, on Twitter at Unrecruited Pod. 
send us messages, DMs, tweets, whatever it is. We'll get back to you. Uh, join our DraftKings Listener League. You can DM us or tweet us, and we'll add you to that. We got games every single night playing, you know what, Captain Game Showdowns, whatever it is. We're there. Uh, we're here to help make you some money. Until next time, we're out.